Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have a incredibly special guest here in the studio uh this morning he knows how special he is the the good reverend dr bill birch uh senior pastor here at Northside church bill how you doing this morning i am fine james how are you <laughs> i'm doing great it's good to have you here uh we had to delay our conversation uh from last week simply because we had the shadow of i was in the shadow of death last week with illness and uh, I gotta say that when you get really sick, like when you're really sick, and then you come out of it, it feels like resurrection. I, I imagine that <laughs> has to be what resurrection feels like because yes. I am, I'm everything tastes better, everything feels better. Even the cold weather didn't bother me today because I was like, you're just I so am happy alive. to be alive. I'm alive. Um, I, I'm not in bed. That stuff feels so good. Um, we are in the middle of January now, uh, almost exactly in the middle of January. And we are coming out of our uh, Advent and Epiphany and Christmas seasons. Um, before we get into anything else today, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, how do you think Advent went? How do you think Christmas went? Like, what did you, how was your experience of it? How do you think it went here at Northside Church? Um, what do you guys think? Well, I was not here uh, on Christmas Eve. I was at I was in Aiken with my parents, and so I was I got to be Episcopalian for a night again on oh, Christmas yeah. Eve, which made my heart very happy. Uh, I grew up Episcopalian, and so while I love Northside and I am now Methodist, that was it was really neat to go back to my roots. Um, the in the Episcopal Church, the liturgy is I mean you can go anywhere and it's the same. Um, and it's just, you know, I went through a season of my life where I was like, oh, this is so boring. It's the same thing. And I kind of circled back around now to a place where there is just an incredible amount of comfort and beauty in the words that are just, it, the language is so beautiful and so descriptive. It just speaks to my heart. And so even in this little tiny, it was a little dinky church, um, there were I maybe 25 people and all in the building. It was very small, but it was incredibly meaningful, and there was a lot of a lot of joy in that space. You could feel it, so and they were very welcoming. So that was that was my Christmas. It was lovely. Cool. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we discussed earlier that Advent was kind of odd this year in the yeah. sense that Christmas Short. Eve fell on the fourth yeah. Sunday of Advent, mm -hmm. and in Northside we chose to move into Christmas Eve rather than observe fourth Sunday of Advent in the morning and then try to do Christmas yeah. Eve in the afternoon. And do you so know churches like that a, did that? Is yes, that, I do. Okay, uh, wow. Interesting. Most of the churches I know that did it tended to have one or two Christmas Eve services typically. Okay. And so they could pull off doing Sunday morning and then right. shift to the evening. Okay. When you're doing five or six services yeah. throughout the day, you just can't do that can't here at Northside. Yeah. But wow. it, it did make it a truncated season in a lot mm -hmm. of ways and mm -hmm. felt like we were kind of rushing labor and delivery there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. I, I know a couple churches that uh just extended advent they just started it a week early but that felt wrong to me i it I, is wrong yeah, James. Yes, yeah. it's not on the church calendar thank that way. you yeah. i don't think that's not, that's not how church calendar works i appreciate <laughs> that i'm glad that you agree with me on that because i that just felt 
wrong. It just felt like, no. Yeah, I, I think you just you just grieve that it was shorter. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did, you know, because for, for the first time in years, I actually really got into Christmas. Like, it felt like Christmas. Um, I found myself saying for the last few years that it just, some just felt wrong and weird. And um, But this year, it was not the case. So I enjoyed it. I lived into it hard. And, yeah. you know, it felt like it was over too soon. But, you know, that's yeah. okay. We had a great Christmas. Grieve it and move on. The you know you weren't here for Christmas Eve, but you weren't here for Christmas Eve. Elizabeth. Yeah, if you didn't know that already. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought Christmas here uh, on Christmas Eve was fantastic. You know, we had the animals back. Uh, you know, and last oh, year it was the so Christmas camel. cold. Yep. Um, so we had a great. And the crowds uh, were back. And oh, yes. that's nice. Full services, yes. all of them. It, it was, was so it was, nice to see. Every, good. Yeah, to see every service packed out. It was just fantastic, and it's so magical and. I do love being um, here on Christmas Eve. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, but you weren't here this Christmas. But this yeah, Christmas yeah, Eve, this but Christmas. next year I will. I will be here. Don't you worry. You know, it's funny what you said about the Episcopal uh, liturgy and stuff, and that, that stuff that you remember from your childhood when you were going. Oh, I was one of those nerds that had the whole thing memorized. Yeah. So I can speak the congregational part. I can speak the pastor's part. Yeah. I don't. I don't even need a book of common prayer anymore. Like, <laughs> Your call to ministry began long before you knew <laughs> yes, it. Indeed. Yeah. We call that provenient grace mm-hmm. here in the Methodist mm. tradition. Uh, but what's fascinating about that is you're, you are part of that millennial church. Uh, you're a millennial, right? You're in that yeah, generational yes. marking. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer myself, and Bill, we won't we won't let anyone know what you are. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I am a baby boomer. Thank you for pointing <laughs> that out, James. But what's fascinating, no shame. What's fascinating is that when when people are talking about, uh, particularly these big event, big events that happen in the church, people assume that the younger generations, millennials and now Gen Zers or whatever, uh, they want the contemporary experience without the liturgy and stuff. But that's not what we're seeing. What we see is people, kids, uh, you know, and young young adults are are attracted to the, I guess, the comfort and familiarity, uh, the nostalgia, maybe even of mm-hmm. of the old of the old liturgies and and things like that. They're really attracted to traditional worship in a way that um, that I think is shocking to a lot of people. It's actually Gen Xers like me. Uh, and and baby boomers, I guess, like you, Bill, who are into the more into the contemporary scene. Um, that particularly with contemporary worship, and this is kind of this is not what we do, but contemporary worship that completely abandons the liturgy and and just moves forward with some kind of willy nilly worship service. <laughs> uh, we have a little bit of a blended, more of a blended mm-hmm. uh, take, I think, on our yeah. contemporary worship. But I find that fascinating. Just and, and that's particularly true when we get into the big season stuff like Easter and Christmas mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of stuff. So it's like opening a box of memories for me. You know, and I sit there and, you know, the way you, you, you hear things and as the liturgy moves forward, it's just like unpacking stuff from when I was younger. You know, you just remember sitting in church and you remember, you know, being being there with the older people that were there when I was younger yeah. and with your parents or your friends and some of it's silly stuff, you know, I mean. I turned to my mom at one point during the service. I just started laughing to myself because there was an older lady who always sang in the choir and I sang in the choir um, with a friend of mine. You know, it was like a five-person choir. <laughs> you know, we weren't mic'd or anything, but um, and we would hide, we would hide stuff in this lady's uh, choir robe. <laughs> and so, you know, we put, we did, you know, we were, and at that point, I was a teenager, so the youth group where we were in charge of the Easter egg hunt for the littler ones. So we we put an Easter egg with candy in it, in her pocket. We put a box of crayons in there, and so you know, she'd you'd see her. You know, we're we're in the back row of the little choir space and. 
you know, in the middle of church and she'd pull out whatever it was that we'd put in her pocket. Yeah. Like, how did this get here? <laughs> so some of it's just silly stuff like that. But it's just that that warmth of, I don't know, what it yeah. meant to grow up in the church. And, and then the other thing, too, that happens is those words, they hit you differently you know, in different seasons. And yeah, then, you know, yeah. sometimes something that you've said a thousand times, all of a sudden your eyes are open to it. And it's just, yeah, it just hits your heart in a new way. Yeah. I recall in seminary talking about worship having two elements. One is order and the other is chaos <laughs> or word yeah. and spirit, logos yeah. and pneuma. Yeah. And that you need both, that you need mm-hmm. the structure, but you also have to need the creativity. And we, it's kind of interesting here at Northside, our traditional service changes a whole lot more every week, whereas a contemporary is almost the same order yeah. every week. Yeah. yeah. And so when you start looking at structure, it always just tickles me a little bit that you think it's just the opposite. Right, right. And that was something that I was reflecting on as I was in that service at the Episcopal Church. Our order of worship here is... It's the same, pretty much. I mean, every once in a while, we'll move elements around to accommodate one thing or another. But for the most part, it's, you know, the elements are in the same order, in the same place, but you'll change the elements. Like, you know, we always have a call to worship, but the call to worship is always different. Whereas in the Episcopal Church, at least in the ones that I've been in, it's the language and the words themselves that stay the same. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they, you know, the things will move around, but the actual components of it are the same, which is interesting. Yeah. And we have elements of that too. I mean, when you think about the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, we don't mess around with those. Lord of Pottery, Doxology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I grew up in a tradition that was very uh, low church, what we call low church, which is say Baptisty. Uh, the word liturgy was a bad word. I mean, literally was a bad word in the sense of like, that's Catholic and we don't do that. We don't do that. Right. So <laughs> this is kind of a, in the Nazarene tradition, which is a hybrid of, of Baptist, uh, Baptist polity and Methodist theology. Uh, and, and the, the, uh, the overwhelming, uh, sense is that we don't do liturgy. We don't do structure like that. And yet looking back on it now, somebody who's kind of learned a little bit about liturgy, uh, it was definitely liturgical. I mean, it was liturgical, even if that's not what we were calling it, right? Yeah. Uh, and it had an order to it and a structure to it, and um, yeah. So uh, that's also something that I'm I, every once in a while kind of drawn to, yeah, in that kind of in a way. But uh, I really enjoy our traditional worship. I think more than I do. I think more. I don't know. I, I like the traditional worship. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> Shout out to Matt Jackson. I love you, but uh, <laughs> I will not mention that to Matt. <laughs> uh, but I love them both. So we are here in the middle of January, and something that Bill that you have been preaching about already, uh, as well as Jeff for a Sunday, the the idea that we as um, we have a tradition uh, as human beings <laughs> to to do New Year's resolutions. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have made the resolutions for their for the year so far, uh, and the the sermon series that you're preaching on right now, uh, start, stop, stay, and go. Right? Uh, I think is I think a fascinating and and fantastic way to kick off a year when this is just a natural time for us to kind of sit back and reflect on what we did last year, but then to kind of set new goals and new ideas and and new parameters for our life going forward. 
Um, I thought maybe we could spend some time talking a little bit about, well, if, if any of us have New Year's resolutions that we want to feel free sharing with people, uh, may or may not have that. Uh, but also some of the, maybe some of the spiritual disciplines that the three of us engage in that maybe fit within that framework uh, of what you've been talking about, the start, the stop, the stay, the go. Um, so let's, let's start off that way. I, I, I will start off by saying... Um, you know, one of the resolutions that I, I try to make every year is to get deeper into uh, spiritual disciplines themselves. Uh, and by that, I mean more consistent with them. Um, I'm, you know, I'm constantly reading scripture, but one of the things that, that I struggle with, and, and Bill, you probably, uh, probably identify with this a little bit, and, and Elizabeth, you probably will if you don't already, is that every time I pick up scripture, it's always for the purpose of teaching or for... Mm or for something like that. And it's never hardly ever for my own personal edification. So one of my resolutions this year is to engage scripture on a consistent daily basis, but for my own edification or for my own, uh, you know, that I do that, but it not in a consistent daily way. And so that's, that's something that I have set up as a spiritual discipline for myself this year. And to kind of try to journal about it and write it about it a little bit more, um, just to kind of keep me accountable to that discipline. What about you guys? Anything, one of the things that always strikes me is paralleling human resolutions with divine repentance. Ooh, Ooh. say more. I think it's a Venn diagram. I think they overlap. But I think most, uh, and this, we're not into Lent yet, but I'll go ahead and say our Lenten disciplines as well tend to be self-improvement of we're going to eat better, we're going to exercise more, we're going to mm-hmm. watch TV yeah. less, fill in the blanks. And I think that's certainly appropriate, and that's part of what I do as well. And I think it's nice to have a moment in time when you can stop and say, yeah, there are some things I need to do better in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Divine repentance, to me, has an exterior loci that comes from the Holy Spirit's conviction of what's going on in your life that causes you to change as well. And I, I think the two intermix with each other, maybe yeah. even inform one another, but I tend to generate my resolutions, and I find that God tends to generate my repentance. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. By convicting me of what I'm doing wrong. So, okay. so you're saying instead of uh, necessarily instead of like, I want to start working out more. Uh, I want to make a resolution that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out more. I'm going to take better care of my body. I'm going to run every day or something like that. The divine repentance or, or repentance that is generated by God uh, maybe is about something more internal or spiritual, spiritually related than just self-improvement. I think so, although it could have physical elements. Sure. I think caring for our bodies in appropriate mm-hmm. ways, uh, mm-hmm. people dealing with addiction. Mm-hmm. We know mind, heart, body, soul are all interconnected as well. We're psychosomatic yeah. creatures. So uh, yes and no. Okay. okay. Do you have an example? Of divine repentance and what that would look for like for me personally, oh, absolutely, right. I do. <laughs> it doesn't have to be personal if you don't want to share. That's okay. <laughs> well, I'll touch on one that uh, this one I've str- I struggle with repeatedly, and I don't foresee an end to it this side of the grave. Uh, <laughs> but in the sermon Sunday, y'all know I typically script most of my sermons. I have a mm-hmm. manuscript, but uh, we were I was given examples of. I won't, I will, I want. Mm -hmm. And the example was, I won't complain or grumble. Mm -hmm. And I will practice gratitude. I want to have 
a deeper, more joyful relationship with God. And after, right after I said, I won't complain or grumble, it just, just stopped. And this would gladden Catherine Booth Olson's soul because I quoted the Enneagram <laughs> and talked about I'm the an Enneagram. Enneagram is not real. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram one. Yeah, uh-huh. And the shadow side of that is you can go out to a meal and everything was wonderful except one element. Mm-hmm. And that is what I will talk about. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. in a worship service, and y'all know I'm notorious for this, 98% of the service will go well, but there will be a glitch. Somebody mm-hmm. will miss a cue. Yeah. We don't have something come up on the screen. And that is what I focus on. Yeah. And that's not healthy or helpful. Yeah. And so uh-huh. how do you... Let go of that. Let go or, of that. Yeah. And to me, the, the opposite or the antithesis of that is gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rather than complaining, you're saying thank you and focusing on the That's things good. that are you yeah. are grateful for. Yeah. 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 That would be a relatively safe example. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think, Bill, something to bounce off that is... Uh, Something that's implicit in that that I think a lot of people forget, I mean, I do anyway, is that gratitude is is a practice. It's not just a disposition. So, like, it's something that you have to set your mind to do and intend to do. It's not just, like, I want to be more grateful. I hope that I am, you know? Like, I, you, know, yeah. I, you know, in those moments, I hope that I'm grateful for the things that went right or, or for the meal that I had or, or things like that. It's something that you have to kind of, uh, piggyback onto a practice of prayer or a practice of of uh, a mantra or something that that kind of reminds you that gratitude is something that you have to generate. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't just show up. Yeah, I I find that to be uh, difficult as well, and it is something that I think we have to be willing to do the thing that doesn't necessarily feel natural for a little bit, like you're talking about, yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, I don't just like wake up and automatically have a good day. I'm going to have to sit there and force myself to think about the things that I'm grateful for. And that maybe doesn't come naturally um, always or easily. That was something that I've started to try and do. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions because they just fall apart. And I'd rather just, okay, I need to work on this. Let's be honest about it and either try and do it or don't. Um, But praying like gratitude prayers. So instead of like, well, I don't really have anything to pray for, or I don't know what to pray for. No, you always have something to pray for. (laughs) And sometimes that prayer could just be like, there, maybe there's no, um, request. There's no, um, um, anything that you're bringing to God other than the gratitude. And so just to kind of stop there sometimes, because I, you know, I tend to, you know, like all of us, you know, you pray when something's difficult, you're having a hard time, God help me, you know, make me this, help me do this, help me see this differently. Instead of doing that, sometimes just come to God with only gratitude. Yeah. Some years ago in a sermon, I was kind of doing a play on words. and I said, we tend to be big butt people. (laughs) And we will say, the sir, the food was great, but, but yeah. the service yeah. was slow. Yeah. The weather is beautiful, but it's a little cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know the old saying: "What you say after but is what you really mean." Yeah. And yeah. so you can pretend you're being grateful, but the focus is actually on uh-huh. complaining or yeah, ingratitude. Yeah. yeah. I started doing this thing with my daughter. Um, whenever I put her to bed, we do the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, and when we first started doing it, she was a little resistant to it. She was like, you know, that's a, number one. She said, that's what we pray in church. And I was like, that, that's right. Good. Yes, we do pray that in church. And we're going to pray here now. And she's like, well, I don't really have anything that I need to pray about. 
uh, kind of like what you just said a second ago. Uh, and I was like, you always have something to pray about. And even if you don't, you that's not why we pray. We don't bring prayers to God simply when we need something. Uh, and so, I would think she of all people would understand talking when you don't have to talk. <laughs> she is gifted at that. That's a spiritual. Don't gift know where it came from. <laughs> no idea. Uh, but yes. funny how genetics work. It really <laughs> skips generations. It really is. It really is. <laughs> uh, um, I will say so. In our coffee and conversations um, um, discussion this past Sunday, we were talking about um, elements of of the sermon that you preached on Sunday. And one of the things that really jumped out to people uh, that we really got into was this idea that when we want to stop something, uh, when we want to stop doing something that we feel is detrimental to our health or to our spiritual life or whatever it may be, that a lot of times we make the mistake of just st- trying to stop that thing and not replacing it with something that will that will fill that void, right? Yeah. And that's something that kind of they took out of your sermon, uh, and that and that is is I think deeply wrapped in this idea that uh, spiritual development, particularly when it comes to the negative side of it, we want to stop doing something. The idea that we need to replace that that thing with something else, uh, and I think that, that your whole "I want, I will, uh, I won't," you know, uh, it does that right. Yeah. It, it, it kind of encapsulates that idea that this is not as simple as saying I'm going to stop eating chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as doing that, but you have to replace it with something. I don't know if we want to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking about. Um trying thinking about no oh, let, let me start over cut it's <laughs> time to get a tv call <laughs> are you choking <laughs> i just want to i just want to stop give pounding. us a sign yes um oh i totally agree with that um something i've been working on is trying to not invent worries because I you know, I have a lot of anxiety and so it's always that like well what's going to happen if or if this then this and you know you just start piling on all of the things that could happen from you know the next five minutes to the next five years and you just you know go round and round and round and round and you convince yourself that all those horrible things are going to happen and now of course I need to be worried about them and so to all right instead of doing that what is happening in this very moment around me um, you know, instead of the next meeting that I have to go to, all right, focus instead about what's here and right now. I'm sitting in this, you know, room with two humans that I admire and I'm enjoying the conversation with them, you know. And so I think that gets to what you're saying, right? We can't just mm-hmm. stop doing a thing. We've got to replace it with something else because if we don't do that, we're just going to fall right, right back, back into, into that it, rut. Yeah. It's a silly example, but it's like me saying to you, I do not want you to think about a pink elephant right now. <laughs> well, of course, what do you immediately, immediately. visualize? Yeah, exactly. yeah. I'm thinking about Dumbo now. Right. <laughs> I had an example in the sermon this past week, and I pulled it because I didn't have time to really build on it, and I did not want to trivialize addiction in any form or fashion. Yeah. But for people who socially drink. Yeah. And you think, okay, this is something I need to work on. Maybe it's one glass too many. How I don't, I won't drink as much. So I will. What do you fill that in with? Let me just take a step back. I don't have an addictive personality, but I definitely have a habitual personality. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It does. So if, if I were going to do that, then my, my thought train would go this way. I'm going to replace that one drink with bubbly water. 
yeah. mm-hmm. or juice mm-hmm. or a glass of milk so that the action is still the same, but it's been replaced with right. something that's healthy and helpful as yeah. opposed to what. And then I want, of course, you begin to visualize what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's, Again, a, kind of a, a shallow illustration, but and I pulled it because I didn't want it. Go, for all you who are alcoholics, here's what you need to do. You <laughs> right. need to start drinking me, bubbly water. Yeah. You know, that was obviously not what problem, I wanted to right. do. Oh, I think that's a fantastic example because I've found that to be helpful for me, just in wanting to drink less. And, you know, but if I just put something like sparkling water in a fancy glass, <laughs> or if I put, you know, put an orange slice in it with sparkling water, then I'm just as happy. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it makes a- absolutely no difference, but it's healthier. Right, yeah. right. And that's uh, something else that came out of our conversation uh, with the, the Coffee and Conversation folks is, that we are deeply uh, habitual people. Like we are just patterned with habits. And we, while we think we have a great deal of free will and that we're always making decisions, really we're just kind of doing what we've programmed ourselves or habituated ourselves to do. And when you make a decision or when God reveals to you a habit that needs to change, uh, it's not as easy as saying, well, okay, I'm done with that. You have to, you have to rehabituate yourself into something new, into mm-hmm. something else. You have to replace a habit. It can't be just dropped. Uh, or at least your, your success rate of getting rid of that habit will go up exponentially if you are willing to put in the work, and it is work, to rehabituate yourself and reprogram yourself. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just part of who we are. And that's the reason why things like spiritual disciplines and our practices as people of the faith are so essential and important. Some people, you know, again, the tradition I grew up in, they'll tell you, a lot of that can be just legalistic, like praying at certain points in the day or doing worship in a certain way or doing anything in a, in a patterned way. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about how well that you're being legalistic with your faith. You're not. You're really you're laying a foundation. You're habituating yourself into faith. Uh, you know, it's, it's the whole act as though you have faith and faith will be given to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or fake it until you make it, right? Uh, but there, there's a, there is a level of truth to that, that if we don't recognize that we are not just willy-nilly free people, that we can't just make decisions and then we're done with it. We have to be practiced and we have to be storied into not just faith, but anything in our life that, that is yeah. important or has value and meaning. Yeah. I have tried over the past year with a fair degree of failure. <laughs> <laughs> To practice meditation. I, it's mm-hmm. one of those things I want to cultivate more in my life. And if nothing else, the breathing in four, holding seven, breathing out eight, I can just feel my shoulders kind of. What, and what do you mean by meditation exactly? Uh, quieting my mind, mm-hmm. mindfulness, uh, that whole yeah. sense of what you were talking about a few moments ago, being where your feet are. Yeah. But on those occasions when I am approach some degree of success, it always amazes me. And this is getting back to what you just said, James, how so much of our life is habitual. Mm-hmm. You button a shirt without even thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I started to say, shave your face. That wouldn't mm-hmm. apply to you, Elizabeth. Apparently not to you, James. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you, you've got a razor in your right. hand right. over the most delicate part of your yes. one of the yeah. most delicate parts of your body, and you're not even thinking about it. It's you, you're just yeah. on automatic. Right. Yeah. Right. And I do think there is a power into making spiritual disciplines that automatic that you don't even think about it. They That's get right. ingrained in your soul, and it goes back to what Elizabeth was talking about. Mm-hmm. The Episcopalian order of service, it's there. That's right. It's been ingrained it just lives on, in you. Yes. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, so I go back to the example of sports um, when I talk about this a lot and talk about the fact that, you know, if the we— The Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. 
Well, oh, I mean, no, actual no, sports. No, real sports. Not, okay, not, we're yeah. not talking the Falcons not, or the Cowboys. Okay. Not, not habitual failure. These but, are football teams, Elizabeth. <laughs> sports? What? Yeah. But the the metaphor that I like to use when talking about this is the idea that if any one of us decided that we just had to be a better free throw shooter, and we showed up here at the gym every day for the next hundred days and shot a hundred free throws. We, regardless of where our skill level, skill level is right now, we would get better at shooting free throws. Like if you just went in there and practiced and you put in 100 free throws a day for 100 days, you're going to become better. Now, you may not be exponentially better, but you are going to be better. Yeah. I'd be having shoulder surgery, but you may would be better. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, but, but you, so you get the idea that, that whatever we practice to do, we'll get better at. And whoever we are today, whoever James Johnson is today or Bill Birch or Elizabeth Shaby. You are the person you are today because you put the work in and you practice hard to get there. So whoever you are today, good or bad, you put the work in. Well done. Congratulations. You've made it. Part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are learning new practices that, that shape us into a new identity or a new creation in Jesus Christ. So in the, in the example that, that, Bill, you were talking about, the idea that we button a shirt without even thinking about it, or we put a razor on our face without even thinking about it. Uh, you look at a, a, a player... Like Michael Jordan. You know who Michael Jordan is? Yes, He's I do. The greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, one of the things that made him so great is that he did not have to think about some of the most basic, simple things about basketball. Dribbling, mm-hmm. and, uh, even to the point of shooting a lot of times, maybe not, right? There's a, so, And passing and seeing the court. He, he, could be a, he, he had all those things just in muscle memory and in the background of how he played the game. So it, was never, it never became a calculation for him in uh in in making a decision in the game right so he, he didn't have to decide how to dribble right he had that uh but that took years and years and years of practice he had some natural talent as well but it took years and years and years of practice uh and that's that's exactly what's going on in discipling that's what discipleship is all about is that it's these years and years and years of practice of things that may seem mundane and boring and just like, why am I doing this, right? Why, why am I continuing to, to do the same things over and over and over every single day? It's so that those things fall into the background. And then when we make a decision in life, when we do actually have a moment of free will, those things are informing our decision in a way that we can't even understand. Or yeah, see. the decision's already been made in That's a lot right. of ways. That's right. You know, Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers, it's, it's pseudoscience, but he talked about the 10,000-hour rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to be an expert in any discipline, it takes 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. You start adding that up. That's a lot. What is the number on that? Do you know, like, year-wise? Like, what's 10,000 hours? It'd be one hour, 10,000 times. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> the personal a, example I use sometimes, not often, but uh, people, I think people are fascinated by people who speak for a living. Yeah. Because studies show public speaking is one of the greatest phobias people have. Yeah. And so people will come up to me and say, oh, I can't believe you stand in the pulpit and preach without a note. <sighs> and I'm like, well, first of all, I've got a six page fully written manuscript yeah, right. in front of me. Mm-hmm. Right. I said, and I don't go into this with most people, but it's like I wrote it weeks ahead. I started practicing mm-hmm. it last Monday, every morning. I went over it again in my head Saturday. I went over it again Sunday. I've probably been over this thing at least 20 times. Oh, wow. And you do that for 40 years. Yeah. yeah. And you could do it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly right. It's discipline. It's teaching Bible study. It's mm-hmm. doing graphics. You, yeah. All of mm-hmm. us have those stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And I, I think a lot of times people talk about um, spiritual gifts as though there were no discipline involved mm-hmm. in them. 
uh, like your gift, you have a spiritual gift of being able to speak, but you put the discipline and the work in to, to hone that, to craft that, to, to, yeah, to absolutely. Yeah, right. You uh, focus on your, yeah, on your strengths and whatever that is, like there's, there's no gift that God gives us that, that, uh, we don't take and make our own and, and sharpen with, with discipline and practice. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I like that. The, that the idea of public speaking, because people do get freaked out by that. People will talk to me about teaching all the time. Like, how do you do that? And it's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's exactly or praying in public. I, I uh-huh. think some people would crawl under a table if you called on them to pray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anything else from that topic we want to address or anything that we didn't get into that, that seems interesting? Um, Bill, can you give us a little preview of uh, Stay and Go? As I was thinking about, through this, I was... I was trying to come up with something of spiritual discipline for myself of those uh-huh. things, but sure. I realized I okay. don't know exactly where you're going with that because sure. those are the two we haven't gotten to yeah. yet. So if you give us a little preview, I'd love that. Sure. So quick recap of the whole series. Yeah. Start is a new physical or spiritual discipline. Stop is a bad or sinful habit. Mm-hmm. Stay when you feel like leaving or quitting and then go where God directs next. The stay piece is, and y'all have heard me do variations on this theme a number of different times is that a lot of Christian discipleship is sticking to your commitments and responsibilities when you don't feel like it. Yeah. And part of what I'll say in the sermon this Sunday is I think our culture sells us a huge false narrative that feelings are the ultimate driver. Yeah. And my experience has been it's exactly when you don't feel like doing something that things the most yeah. significant in life occur. So we'll talk about staying in commitments, and and there's a whole riff I've got of what do you do when prayer isn't vital in your life, and Bible study doesn't speak to you, and worship is dull, and and it goes on through. The uh, go piece is obviously where does God send you next, and I, I had to kind of force myself to go in a slightly different direction here because this past fall we talked about Abraham and Sarah and of how God called them to go somewhere else. And that's the scripture I'm working from, so I didn't think I could quite get away with repeating the same sermon four months later. (laughs) Uh, But how does God call us to what's next, and how do we choose to respond or not respond? Yeah. So that's the quick recap. That's good. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that, particularly the the idea that you just mentioned about our culture does tell us that feelings are the the main motivation and driver. We should pay attention to them above everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is a lie. I mean, that is, that, that's a, that's, that explains like so much drama and trouble and catastrophe and conflict that we have. Well, you mentioned uh, parenthood earlier. If you based your oh, parenthood on feelings, nobody would be a parent. You know, I, I had, you know, Bill, that's, that, you mentioned that, but that's like, that is the, that was the number one thing I had to overcome at being a father is that I wanted I wanted to make sure that my daughter felt good every time she was with me. And I did. And I, so I, my own generate, the way that I parented her or the way that I listened to her, whatever came from a very selfish place in the sense that I wanted to feel good about her feeling good. And it took me a little bit to figure out that's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not just, I'm not her friend. I'm her father. And, uh, while that is, you know, that comes with a level of being able to discipline her and being strict with her and, and things like that. And I've, I've gotten fine at it now, uh, particularly as she's gotten older and a little bit more lippy. But uh, but early on, particularly when she was young, uh, when she was really young, um, it was hard. That was a hard because I, I wanted to feel I wanted to feel good about her feeling good. And 
it took me a minute to overcome mm-hmm. that. I mean, I'm sure you've had you had a similar experience or maybe something connected to that. And then it gets exacerbated when you have grandchildren oh, because yeah. they, uh, they are so much better than children. They <laughs> 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 truly are. <laughs> That's great. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, as a as a way of of wrapping up our conversation today, um, I, I want to kind of just take a moment and maybe from this place here in January, maybe just peek back at 2023 for a second, and if if we come up with a word or an idea that encapsulates 2023 as we kind of put it to bed, uh, but then also I want to look forward to the year that's ahead, and uh, maybe resolution is is too thin of a word, but what's a what's a word or an idea or a resolution? uh that that we have for for Northside Church in 2024. Um so looking back at 2023, what a anybody have any what's a word or I'm going to use two words okay. and I'm borrowing them from Olu Brown. He came up with this phrase and actually wrote a book on it during the pandemic. We kept talking about the new normal mm-hmm. and the phrase he used and I think we talked about it previously was normalizing next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I like because it is much more proactive. Yeah. New normal, just something that's thrust upon you. Normalizing next means that you have a hand You're in determining something. that. Yeah. And I, th- that's what it felt like to me in 23 yeah. at Northside, that we, we're not post-pandemic. We've got people and staff and congregation that continue to be out yep. with COVID right mm-hmm. now. But we have lived into the new yeah. next reality. And I think we made some significant changes here at Northside that are going to pay long-term dividends. Yeah. Uh, three right off the top of my head, and I'm going to say what I think is the most significant for last. Uh, we started the Center for Child Development, yes. providing full-time daycare for members That's of huge. our community. That's yeah, amazing, yeah. Uh, secondly, we started the Counseling Center. Yes. And these are longitudinal ministries. I think they'll have a long-term impact for decades. But the third is we made the decision in the fall of 20 to start including children in worship yes. and creating a discreet Sunday school hour. Yeah. And that is countercultural in the community in which we live. And I'm not dissing other churches who right. do it differently, but we have cho- that's what we've chosen. Because I have a personal strong conviction. We've raised a generation of children who do not know how to worship, and we've raised a generation of adults who do not know about small groups. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see the dividends of that. I think we are, too. And frankly, we've lost some members over it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm aware of that, and they've come to talk to me about it, and we'll continue to try to address persons' express needs. Yeah. But I think this has become one of our deep-seated values that will continue to drive who we are into the future. So think, that's how I would summarize 23. I think that's one of the best things, best decisions we ever made, particularly with it, having the children in worship. Um, and the dedicated Sunday School Hour, obviously. That's, I love that. But... Um, but having children in worship, that's something that we talked about doing ever since, I think, like ever since I got here. And then we yeah. finally made it happen. And I, I just, I, I can't, I can't express like the, the value of that uh, in my own childhood for sure. But like, I, yeah, you're right. Like that, that will continue to shift who we are and our values. And, and I think my word for 2023 uh, is related to uh bill your your two words which is i was going to say recover and i felt like we are we are coming out of the the pandemic and starting to recover um i think just the christmas services the way they they played out i think was amazing uh, but even before that i do think that that there is life happening here at northside church um 
in conversations and, and there's, there's worship and, and there's all these things that are happening here at Northside Church that, man, we really missed, I think, uh, over 20 and 21 and 22. And, and that I think we'll continue to grow and continue to, to expand. Uh, and, and I don't know that we, you know, I don't know that trying to get back where we were before should even be the goal. I think there's something bigger and better and beyond. Right. And, and so, but that, that was my word. Do you have a, a word that you want to? I was, I, I'm grateful that you both shared that because I was dancing around something. I didn't have an actual word for it, but I think you hit on it because that's what it felt like. I, just exactly what y'all both said is something about coming out of the pandemic and settling back into life and not the same. Cause I, I you know, a lot of things that did change and I think we handled them gracefully. Um, and so there's, there's an energy, there's a movement, but it does, it has a sense of recovery to it as well. So yeah, I, I, I track with that. You want to know something mind blowing? What? This March the 13th, four years wow. since we shut down for the pandemic. Wow. That is wild. That's four only four years. like two months away from now. Four wild. years. Yeah. Wow. wow, that is my. Somebody said that to me a while back. I said, "That's not right." That doesn't like, feel that's right. A, wait, twenty? That's twenty-four? A, yeah, yeah, that's four that's, years. Yeah. That's a college experience. That's a college degree for some people. Yeah, <laughs> for some people. Yeah, not for me. I was a little longer than that, but it's all right. <laughs> all right. So looking ahead then to twenty twenty-four, what's um, what's a word, a resolution, an idea? What do you, what do we see for Northside Church this next year? I'm going to sound like such a senior minister when I say this. That's good. You are senior yes, minister. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, stewardship. That's yeah. the word for yeah. me. Yeah. And I mean it in a multitude of ways. I, we need to challenge people to step up more in volunteerism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have it long is. time been a staff driven church and it's appropriate for our culture and our community. But I'm also seeing volunteerism begin to blossom in our, in yes. our church. And that's exciting to me because pe- that shows people are even more invested in what's going on. Uh, stewardship in terms of money. Yeah. Uh, we have got to grow a new generation of people who understand what that means. Uh, we had a funeral for a long time. Church member Bob Cook this past Sunday is 99 years old. Greatest generation. Yeah. And I was talking to Tracy afterwards. When I went into the ministry, that generation was in their 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. Wow. And now wow. they're all but gone. Yeah. And those were the people who supported institutions. Yeah. They were yeah. the ones who went to church and to bowling leagues and to Elk yeah. Club and Moose Aww. and all those other things. And the newer generation, whether it's XYZ, whatever we call them these days, are much more driven by passion and what they feel engages uh, their interest of the moment, which is fine. But we've got to figure out a way. To, how do you tap that? Yeah. Because the churches, we've got a lot of really exciting things going on in our side. It's not sexy to pay the electric bill. <laughs> it's not exciting to find out yeah. what the sewer bill was last month. Right. And yet that's the infrastructure that drives, drives yeah. ministry. And so how do we engage people in a way that helps them to see yeah. the value? Is there a level of how do we translate people's individual passions back into the community so they understand like the value of of sustaining and helping to support a community of people that are, there's something there. I don't know. Um, my word was going to be uh, my kind of vision or, or idea for 2024 is related is commitment, uh, which is, uh, in, in, in commitment to the vision of Northside church, the life of Northside church, you know, showing up, uh, and, and stewardship is definitely part of that. 
and and a commitment to the life of discipleship itself, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, so that was that was where I was headed. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of when um, I was starting to think about the stay word in your sermon series was abiding. And our next newsletter issue is that's our word for it. So it was kind of already in my head. But yeah, what does it mean to abide in in a place, in a people, in a community, in what God has called you to? That's good. And I think that has application, especially for this season of the United Methodist Church. Yeah, maybe yes. segging into an area that we didn't intend to go, Sorry. but how do you abide in a church where everybody doesn't agree over everything? Yeah, and I just described every single church that exists <laughs> on the face of the earth. Exactly. But we tend to pick one or two issues: yeah. theological, cultural, political, and those end up being the dividers for us. And how am I in a community of faith that is Republican, Democratic, Democrat, and Independent, in a community of faith that is pro-life and pro-choice, that yeah. is, says we've got to have strict immigration reform, and others who say, no, everybody ought to be allowed to come in. Yeah. And to realize we're not going to agree on a great deal of those things. So how do we abide and be church together yeah. in that center that holds. You know, this. Uh, I've never thought about it this way before, but uh, I wonder if that connects to the whole, like being where your feet are, you know, um, you know, you and I have different opinions on lots of things and we're different people, but at the end of the day, you know, it, we're right here in this moment together. And how do we, be where our feet are in relationship to each other, despite all that, because that's really the only thing that actually matters. Mm-hmm. And maybe relationship is the word there yeah. that needs to be highlighted because right. Jesus had strong opinions about things, no doubt. Uh, and he was correct and he was right and he was true. Uh, and yet he never, his, his, his ideas or opinions, his preaching even never was never the priority. It was always the relationship with the person that was right in front of him regardless of whether they agreed with him or not, right? Yeah. And so, you know, he had some run-ins and some conflicts, to be sure, but he was about loving people. Uh, and so maybe we focus on why we come together as a church in the first place. It's certainly not because of any political position we hold, and it has everything to do with being bound together in the Holy Spirit. One Lord, one cup, one baptism. There was uh, an evening, I don't know, it was maybe... Five years ago at this point I have no idea everything runs together now and it was a particularly hectic day and we had a church council meeting that night and I was just stressed to the max and I came into the room probably looking very harried and I sat down next to um, a church member and um, I don't know, I remember if I said something to him or he could just kind of see it on the look on my face that I was stressed and he pulled he pulled my um, my church council agenda towards him and he flipped it over and he wrote on the back of it if it doesn't breathe, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. Wow. You know, this idea that, 
<laughs> You're laughing. No, I was like, so you go kill it. Then it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. <laughs> we can fix that problem real quick. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, this idea yeah. that whether yeah. it's a to-do list or an expectation or a political opinion yeah. or anything, any of those things, the next thing you have to do, if it's not breathing, if it's not alive, it doesn't matter. So yeah. be present. Be yeah. in the relationship. Be with the people that are around you. That's that's what's important. I think I think my favorite uh, scripture passage on that topic is is Romans fourteen when Paul's dealing with the church in Rome and they're they're struggling with strong and weak Christians. You know, some eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and some don't. Right? And Paul's basically you can hear it in the tone of Paul's voice. He's like, this does not matter. But here's the thing. <laughs> it's the relationship between you guys that really matters. And he literally says, uh, at one point, he says, uh, keep your opinion. Whatever you believe about this is between you and God. Keep it to yourself. And that's encouraging to me. And I think uh, maybe maybe something to focus on as we move into 2024, mm, which is going to yeah. be a fun year uh, here at Northside as well as in the world around us. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate the invitation always. Absolutely. Elizabeth, thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.